What do you think about hell? What's it like? I ain't never been, so I really can't tell you. <laughs> I really don't know off the top of my head. That's one that you got to think. One thing I can say is it ain't no fun out there from what, from what, from what the good books say. Something that we'll never know I, uh, until you get there, I guess. Um, Eternal damnation, fire, uh, it's, it ain't nothing good. It's just one of those things that humans just have to fear. It's your greatest fear, is really. Biblically, it's separation from God. Um, I think if you take the absolute worst thing you've ever experienced on earth and multiply it by about an infinite amount of times, I think that's what hell's going to be like. In the pop culture, I guess, it's being thrown in the lake of fire and burning over and over. It's uh, very hot. Um, it's uh, not pleasurable. It's very unpleasant. Um, not a place I'd want to be. It's whatever is going to be miserable for you. It, it changes. It's more of a state of mind than a than an actual place that you can see. It evolves. I think the worst thing about hell is that it's going to be ongoing forever. I think it's beyond our wildest fears. You you want to die, but you are not able to die, or you want to like it's like. You are in a between state, like you are totally suffering and it's like a wound that never heals, like it's, it's like that. It's pretty much the opposite of heaven. Heaven's our wildest imagination, hell is our wildest fears. Well, all right. Hello, everybody. So as you can tell, we're talking about hell today. There's lots of different views of hell and uh, different definitions of hell. And uh, if I were to really uh, give you my view today, hell would be time chain Sunday. Okay, there you go. <laughs> There you go. Just losing that hour of sleep. That's pretty hard on some of us, I know. And uh, you should have been here at first service. They were like, whoa, laid back, barely moving. Uh, but I'm glad you're here today. And, uh, you know, when we talk about hell, and already some of you are got your prickles up, you know, and you're like, you know, okay, where's he going to go? And what's this going to be about? And, and if you're like me, I don't know. I, I went to church when I was young. And uh, and I remember having, uh, listening to messages and, and it was really, you know, a lot of this and yelling and that kind of stuff. And maybe it's cause I'm from the, you know, where I am in the South and grew up, but, uh, also saw it on TV where, you know, you have somebody yelling, you know, about hell and pounding and sweating and that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, you know, honestly, if you, you know, really looked at guys and uh, over doing that kind of teaching, you, you wonder are they happy people are going to hell? <laughs> it almost appeared there's a little glee in that, you know, that, that a little, that, that's something they liked about the whole idea of hell and that they weren't going there, that somebody else was. Well, what I want to do is I want to, you know, just kind of ramp back now and talk about why we're having this series. Now, last week, we kicked it off, reality. We talked about the reality of heaven. Oh, the response was over the top. I just encourage you, if you want to watch it online, if you weren't here, that would be great. But, uh, you know, this, this quote really helps us to kick off the idea of why we need this series and why we're doing it. Uh, this author is writing about two different worlds, and this is what he says. He says, we live in two worlds, one that is governed by laws like gravity that are absolute and universal, the other is an unseen spiritual reality that Jesus referred to as the kingdom of God. And this world is governed by laws that are every bit as real as gravity. And what I want to do in this series is I, I want to highlight some of the key realities of this unseen spiritual world, things that never change. As we talked about, some things never change. And I'm going to talk about realities that are true and solid and unchanging in the spiritual world, just as we have these laws in the physical world, like gravity, that never changes. 
And last week, as I said, we talked about the reality of heaven, and this week, the reality of hell. And, you know, I mean, right of the way, when I think Mark mentioned it right on the shoot, some of you thought that we heard about hell. You're thinking, oh, no, why did I choose to come to church today? You know, you're thinking about that. And of all the weeks I chose to come, I've come on hell week, okay? That's what we have. We have hell week going on around here. And so, and and you got to know that as much as you feel that, Imagine what I feel, you know, and just thinking about what I'm feeling about. And, and I just, as much as you may wish you were somewhere else today, I wish I was somewhere else today, honestly, as I get to do this talk and we go through it. Uh, and I've had that feeling all week. And hell is the last thing I want to talk about today. If I were being selfish, just doing what I want to do, I would not choose to talk about hell today. I'd talk about marriage or love or the kinds of things that can help us in life, those kinds of things. I wish I could talk again about heaven. You know, last week you're, you were so affirming as we talked about heaven. That was such a wonderful experience today. But I believe that God really did guide this series, and I get to talk to you about hell. And so I want to ask you if you would, if you would listen carefully, as carefully as you can, maybe take down some barriers that you're feeling already about this whole subject, and you just be open to see what God might want to say to you. And just understand that just as there's this unbelievable, inconceivable, uh, and indescribable reality called heaven, there is also, according to the Bible in the spiritual world, this horrendous, awful, agony-filled place called hell. And even if, even if there's the remotest chance that it might be true, might be accurate, denying it won't change that reality. Denying it won't change it at all. So we're better off treating it as reality and talking about what does that reality mean. And then we can make an informed decision about this reality called hell. So let's just jump in and talk about it. If you grab your message notes, they look like this. And uh, I know lately we've been looking at, you know, just one section of the Bible together. Well, this is going to be different because it's such a broad topic. We're going to go to several parts of the Bible, so it may not be easy for you to open your Bible up to one section. So I put all the verses that are here today, and you can look at those. And we're going to begin the same way we began last week. And as we talk about why, what is, how is the reality of hell dimmed in our world? So the question is, why has the reality of hell dimmed? Last week we said, why is the reality of heaven dimmed? And I answered that question, so I'm going to give you why has the reality of hell dimmed. Uh, I just want to recommend a couple of books to you that might help as, you know, just go further if you wanted to in understanding this topic. Uh, one is called Erasing Hell, right? Right away you get the idea that the reality of hell is dimmed. We call Erasing Hell, that we want to do away with it. And then this little book, it was so amazingly helpful to me. And, you know, it's just kind of like you can't miss it, right? Just red book, hell on the cover, okay? Just kind of red and all that. But it says, is hell for real or does everyone go to heaven? So it's a great question, a great book. You know, these are nice. You know me, I'm a simple guy, I like simple reads. And so I you know, can recommend this to you. I thought about recommending a book called Immortality by J.P. Moreland, but it's this thick, 36 bucks, and you know, no one could afford it. So here we go. So we're going to get these simple books. And these are awesome, awesome responses to some of the cultural views of hell in our day and how we're trying to uh, dismiss it. But let me give you some reasons uh, why hell, the reality of hell is dim. Three reasons. One is this, the distorted conceptions about what hell is like, or the consort, distorted view of what hell is actually like. And we have more and more uh, people that talk about hell, and usually when they talk about hell, it's just something to joke about. They use the word hell as a joke, or make cartoons about jokes. And I just honestly, I found myself doing that this week. You know, I'm moving towards this topic, and I started, you know, 
using the word hell around the office and just at home, and I'm just trying to break the ice a little bit, and you know, just doing that. I'm making jokes about it, and I realize, well, I'm just doing exactly what I'm saying is causing this reality to be dim by making light of it. Uh, Gary Larson, Far Side, you guys like that? Uh, he has a lot of cartoons about hell. And I just want to show you some today, even though it's the opposite of what I'm saying that we want to do. I just thought we could laugh a little bit to get started, okay? So here's the first one. I'm going to help you read it. I didn't know they'd be so ineligible, not able to read from the back. Uh, so here we go. The top portion says this. It says, welcome to heaven. Here's your harp. The bottom portion says, welcome to hell. Here's your accordion, okay? I know, accordion music. Some of you like that, so I've insulted you, but here we go. Next one is this. This is the entrance to hell, and here's the go. Okay, sir, would you like inferno or non-inferno? Ha, just kidding. It's all inferno, of course. I just get a kick out of saying that, you know? <laughs> and then look at this one. You might be able to read this all the way to the back, but here's the picture of hell, and you got the demons and the fire and everything, and then this guy doing his work, and he's whistling and having a great time, and it says, you know, we're just not reaching that guy. And then this one for me really spoke. It's the picture of hell, and this guy's going over the coffee machine. He goes, oh, man, the coffee's cold. They thought of everything. <laughs> They're going to picture of hell. You know, uh, other ways that people make light of hell is um, that uh, we write songs about it or we make comments about it, especially about friends, you know, and I'm not, I don't want to go to hell if my friends aren't going to be there and that kind of thing. Is, you know, I, we're going to take the highway to hell, and we're going to go there and do our things that we do here, because if we, you know, go there, we won't be able to do them. We're going to do them together. It's going to be the kind of buddy system when we get there. And they, they picture hell as being some sort of like eternal orgy, that kind of idea of hell, like an orgy of drink and sex and gluttony and friendships, buddies, all those pictures, you know, and you look at TV commercials and you see, go grab some buds and it's Michelob time. And I'm not saying those are promoting, you know, hell or anything, but I'm just saying that's kind of the image, you know, that people have about hell. And that image diminishes the reality of hell. Second is our distorted view of God. We have a distorted view of God in our culture. And I would just say this, folks, it's getting increasingly distorted uh, in our culture today, the view of God. Our world has done its best to redefine God, just redefine God. In many ways, it's, you know, you are God, and so you get to make your, you know, own choices and your own decisions, and you get to say what's right or wrong because you are God. But in other ways, uh, what the world has tried to do is tried to take away the God of the Bible, to remove from our conscious and from our conscience and from our culture the view of the God of the Bible. And so this biblical view uh, of God has been rejected by many. And okay, you got this biblical view of God. Well, that God is offensive and that God is restrictive to human freedom, right? So we've got that view of God that he's, you know, offensive to people who don't think like he does, and he's restricted to human freedom. The modern view of God is that God is just love. Now, I agree that God is love, but if God is not also a God of wrath, you can't have love. You have to have both. And so if we only have a God of love, then we've changed the biblical view of God. We've, we've changed that. And so if we have that distorted view, then it's hard for us to, and God is only love. And so therefore, if God's love, then everybody's going to go to heaven and no one would ever go to a place called hell because how could a God of love make a place called hell and send people to hell? Well, then we can't have it because that God couldn't do that. So that distorted view of God leads to a distorted view of hell. Third is this. The reality of hell is that has been dimmed because we have a distorted view of salvation. 
Now, I use that word salvation because it's key, and some of us don't really understand what that means, but salvation basically means to be saved from, and it's the key phrase that would say that you've said yes to Jesus Christ at some point in your life, and you have been saved, and then we call that salvation. So I'm going to give you two views of salvation uh, here today. We've got a traditional view of salvation. This is why it gets distorted. We have a traditional view of salvation, and the traditional view says that every person needs to be saved. That's the traditional view. Every person needs to be saved. Every person has a sin nature. Every person has sin. Therefore, every person is guilty before God and unable to do anything about their guilt. And so, therefore, they've already been called guilty or labeled guilty, and they are due punishment that would come with the guilt of what they're done. So that's the traditional view. And so because I'm guilty and because I need someone to save me, then because of that, if I'm not able to find a solution for that, then I get to go to a place called hell, which is separation from God, and then retribution for the things I've done wrong. And so, therefore, if that's my destiny, because I'm guilty, and because I'm set apart from God, and because I have sin in my life, that's my destiny, then I need Jesus to save me. I need him to rescue me so that I can be set free from that destiny. So that's the traditional view, and I'm going to call it the biblical view of salvation. Then we have, and I didn't didn't come up with this term originally, but I liked it, and I think it fits very well. We have a therapeutic view of salvation, a therapeutic view of salvation. And this view of salvation says that my life's a wreck, I'm screwed up, I've made a lot of mistakes, I've got bad habits, and I've made bad choices, and, you know, I have all these personal failures, and I need Jesus to set me free from myself. I need Jesus to set me free from myself, because I'm the one that got me into these troubles, and so I need him to set me free from what I'm doing so that I can, and here's where it goes all the way to the end, so I can realize my full potential. So if you, if you frame salvation that way, the focus just becomes, hey, help me to release my bad habits. Help me to make better choices instead of rescuing from sin and hell. Now, here's what I want to say to you today. Salvation is both. Salvation is both. Salvation is being rescued. It has to come first, though rescuing you from sin and hell by saying yes to Jesus Christ. And then as at the same time, Jesus says, I've come to give you life in all its fullest. And together we will free you from your habits and your failures and the bad choices you have made. This can't come first. This must come first. But if I'm only focusing on this, I've got a distorted view of salvation. And therefore, I'm only about saving myself and making myself better. And there's really no threat of hell. But this one is, there's a threat of hell and I better choose Jesus because I need rescued. So when we distort the view of salvation, then it dims the reality of hell. Um, So does that mean, just answer that, does that mean then that um, if everyone needs to know that they need Jesus in order to be saved, does that mean that we need to go around and tell people how bad they are all the time? No, no, that's not going to be helpful at all. We just need, you're bad, 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 you're bad, bad. You're going to make them better by telling them they're bad. That's not going to work at all. I read a tweet this week uh, on Twitter and uh, was following this pastor from Florida, and he quoted Charles Spurgeon. Now, Charles Spurgeon's a famous pastor from the 1800s in England, and this is what Charles Spurgeon said, okay, talking about his church. He says this, I preach morality 
till I made all the people in my church immoral. Get it? I preached morality, all the things, don't, 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 till it made it look so attractive. Everybody did, 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 right? That's what he's saying there. He says, but when I began to preach the gospel, the dumb began to sing. I love that. <laughs> the gospel, the true meaning of Christianity, then everybody rejoiced. Okay, so then, with that as a background, just like I did last week, I want to talk about what is hell like. Last week, I gave you six pairs, so we had 12 descriptions. This week, I thought, you know, we really need to tone it down just a little bit, Thompson. So we're going to have three pairs, so we have six descriptions of what hell is like. And so here we go. First, hell is a place of punishment and torment. Some of you are like, okay, I'm ready to go now. <laughs> oh, my. Place of punishment and torment. So hell is the place you go to receive your just reward for rejecting God in this life. It's the place you go to receive your just reward for rejecting God in this life. So I want to talk to you just a little bit about salvation and about the cross. Now, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to come back and talk about the cross in depth and as we look at it and the reality of the cross and why it's so important. But on the cross, Jesus became a substitute for me and you. He became our substitute. You know, basically, substitutionary atonement is what it's called. And so he went to the cross, and he became the substitute, meaning that he took the penalty for the wrong that I deserved. So my guilt, I deserved spiritual death because of my guilt. Jesus went to the cross, and he took my punishment, the punishment that was due me, on the cross so that I wouldn't have to. The Bible says I couldn't even pay it. It was such a great price. And he became a sacrifice so that I wouldn't be punished. So here's the idea. The idea is that everyone who doesn't have that covering, uh, the covenant blood we sang about in a song just a while ago, that everybody doesn't have that covering will suffer punishment for eternity. Punishment for eternity. I'm not clapping because I'm happy. I'm clapping because of emphasis punishment for eternity. There's no ending. It's punishment that never stops. And so therefore, it becomes worse than punishment. It becomes torment. Look what the Bible says about this place called hell. Revelation 14. Anyone who worships the beast in his statue or accepts his mark on their forehead or on the hand must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath, and they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night. That's reality, folks. That's reality. Torment. Smoke of their fire, and they will have no relief, and it will go on 24-7 because there's no clock, and it just continues forever. Now, Jesus talked a lot about hell when he was on the earth. You think Jesus talked about hell? He talked a lot about hell. In fact, Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. And so because he did that, then we need to know some of the things he said about hell. And he oftentimes talked about hell in the midst of a parable or at the end of a parable when he was drawing the conclusion. 
And I've listed the conclusion of a parable there. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. And then Jesus says at the end to those who were being rejected, he says, away with you, you cursed ones, and to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Now, right there, I want to give you a distinction about hell based on what Jesus said there, that it's prepared for the devil and his demons. Here's the distinction. Hell was not created for people. Hell was not created for people. Hell was created for the devil and his demons. Jesus said right there, the righteous go into the kingdom of God. Righteous go into the kingdom of God. Heaven, prepared before the creation of the world. Those who were cursed, they go to the eternal fire, prepared for Satan and his demons. So I'm going to, draw, I'm going to help you to get what I'm talking about here in just a minute. Hell was created for the devil and his demons. Hell was not created for people. Hell was created in a response to sin, in a response to the rebellion, the rebellion of the evil one. So ultimately, hell is the place for those who don't want God to rule and reign in their lives. It's that simple. Hell is the place for those who don't want God to rule and reign in their lives. And just like Satan made that choice in heaven and the demons or the angels, and they were sent to the place that God prepared for them, God will send everyone who on this earth chooses to not let him rule or reign in their lives to the same place, to the same place. C.S. Lewis writes this. He's a great, it was a great writer. Um, Most of it's over my head. Um, But he said this. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, God. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. And all in hell chose that. For God says, thy will be done. And we did our will. And that's why we got to go to hell. So if I choose to rebel against God like Satan, basically what I'm doing is I'm saying in this life, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to go where I want to go. I'm going to say what I want to say. I'm going to be with who I want to be. I'm going to do you know, all that. We say that and we're just snubbing our nose at God through life, just saying I am choosing to be my God. And God gives us the freedom. It's called free choice. He gives us the freedom to choose to violate his will. He gives us that freedom. Second, hell is a place of darkness and destruction. It's a place of darkness and destruction. Jesus, I wrote this next paragraph for you. Jesus often made reference to a place of utter darkness, a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then I gave you some verses there. There's a lot more verses, and I'll read some more in just a minute, that talk about this whole idea of what hell is actually like. Utter darkness. Remember last week I talked about heaven. It's a place that uh, is full of light, doesn't have a sun, doesn't have a moon, because we don't need a sun and a moon in heaven, because God is there and God's glory fills the place. But heaven is the place without God. I mean, hell is the place without God. And so it's utter darkness, darkness beyond belief, as dark as you can imagine, and then some. Dark as you can imagine, and then some, because there is absolutely no light. And I don't know about you, but I'm afraid of the dark. Yeah, I'm afraid of the dark. And so if I thought about a dark that's that, darkness is that oppressive that I can see and never know that there's any hope at all, never know that there's a light coming and that there's not going to be an opportunity to make a change, that just right there automatically begins taking it into the idea of this whole idea of torment and destruction. It's a place of destruction. 
Now, the word that Jesus used when he was talking about hell is the word Gehenna. It's a Greek word that was in, from the New Testament. And uh, 11 out of the 12 times you find it in the New Testament, it was used by Jesus Christ when he was making reference to the place called hell. Now, the common view is that Gehenna was a label that was put on the, the town dump, the Jerusalem town dump, basically. And so people would take all their garbage out to the Jerusalem town dump and they would dump it there and they would light it on fire and burn it because they had to get rid of the, you know, all their trash. And so it was basically a dump heap that was burning 24-7, 365 days a year. And there was smoke and the stench that was coming from that. And that's the picture that Gehenna gives of the destructive nature of hell. It's just going to be a place of eternal burning. And the idea is that, because when you take something to the dump, at some point you wanted it, right? Um, At some point it was beautiful. At some point it had value. And when the picture here is that that which was beautiful and that which was valuable has now been placed in a fire and burnt. And it's a place of destruction beyond belief, beyond imagination. No light, utter darkness. And because of that, there will be this gnashing of teeth and this weeping beyond control. And I've, been, I've been anxious before and in that anxiety, you know, I come my, tent, my teeth, you know, my jaws clenched and I have my teeth kind of grind together just a little bit. Um, and I've cried before, but the picture in heaven is that the gnashing will be so great that just because just there's this eternal, I can't get out of this, I can't make any difference, and the weeping will be out of control. It'll be continual weeping because I can no longer choose God. My choice is before me. I have rejected him, and I can never change that choice. And I live in this darkness and this destruction forever. And I know it's hard for us to picture what forever is, but that's a long time to live with eternal regret. Third, hell's a place of separation and isolation. A place of separation and isolation. And I love how Paul's writing and he's talking about this whole idea of Jesus coming back and you know, heaven and hell and all that's going on. And he says this in Second Thessalonians 1. The Lord Jesus will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. So because we've already talked about destruction, once you circle the word separated as the key word I want to focus in those verses is the word separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. Last week, when we got to the end of the list about what heaven is like, and I said the very most important part of what heaven is like is that heaven will be the place where God lives and rules. Well, the very worst picture of what hell will be like is hell is the absence of the presence of God. The absence of the presence of God. That's the worst thing about hell. So when you think about the worst situation on earth, and I'm, I, you know, I tried to think about some really terrible situations. I thought of the Holocaust. Thought about slavery of Africans in America. Thought about the sex trade and where little girls are being taken and uh, kidnapped and sold into slavery for pleasure. I thought of the rapes, the the murders, the Osama bin Laden tragedies. I thought of all those things. 
And, and they're almost beyond our ability to even tolerate or even be able to um, be, find, to be sustained in. And I'm not making light of any of that. But none of that compares to the reality of hell. Because as bad as all of that is, we still have the presence of God. We still have opportunity to connect to the love of God, to the grace of God. We still have the opportunity to choose. We still have the opportunity to have hope. We still have the opportunity to know that there's something better. And when you have the absolute absence of God, there is absolutely no hope. None. Separated from him and isolated. There's also an absence of friendships in hell. An absence of community in hell. It's complete isolation. You just kind of picture that we're all in solitary confinement, in the darkest place we can ever imagine, in torment, and there's no one to talk to, to share it with, to be with. There is no community in hell. It's going to be this absolute place of exclusion and isolation. So apart from what our culture thinks many times, hell is not going to be this place of parties and friends and fun and games. I'm going to go hang out with the ones I hang out here and snub my nose at God because when I get there, I'll find out I'm the only one there. Isolated. C.S. Lewis wrote it this way. He says, hell is nothing but yourself for all eternity. Nothing but yourself for all eternity. Now look what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28. He says this, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So with all of this truth about the reality of hell, ask a question. Should people be afraid of hell? Yes. Yes. See, you've been given a soul. Yeah, our culture wants you to believe that you've been given a body that has a soul. God says you've been given a soul that has a body. You've been given a soul. And your soul has an eternal destiny that will live on forever. And you get to choose where that soul exists. You get to choose. As horrendous or bad or ugly as the reality of hell may seem, as beautiful and awesome as the reality of heaven may seem, we get to make our choice on which one or which place we go because hell is real and heaven is real. Now, I want to answer a question. I've kind of, this has been about questions today that I get more than any other question about hell, and here it is. Would a loving God send people to hell? So let me just ask it out loud. Would a loving God send people to hell? What do you think? I was hoping you'd say that. No. A loving God will not send people to hell. Here's why. No one on earth, no one on earth, even the most passionate person, wants everyone to experience the reality of hell, of heaven, one millionth as much as God does. <laughs> he wants everyone to be in heaven. Here's the reality. God doesn't send anyone to hell. Everyone who goes to hell chooses to go there. They choose to go there. Look at these verses from John 3. Beautiful verses about God. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. 
But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than their light for their actions were evil. Back where I grew up, we had a phrase, and I, probably, I know it's not just for Oklahomans, uh, but the phrase was, when you really were serious about something and you really wanted someone to stop, you said that you're going to do this over my dead body. My dead body. Well, here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, anyone who goes to hell goes to hell over my dead body. You go to hell through the cross, by going around the cross, by going around the dead body of Jesus Christ, by rejecting what he did for you when he went to the cross on your behalf. See, God's ultimate desire is that everyone would go to heaven, and so he gives us the opportunity to choose between Jesus Christ or ourselves. Between believing he's God or that we're God. Every one of us gets to make that choice. Look at what it says in Revelation 20. It says, All were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Eternity, folks. Your name is written in the book of life when you say yes to the Lamb and what he did on the cross for you. Your name is written in and written there for eternity and that there will be a day when God looks at the Lamb's book of life and that everyone whose name is written in there gets entrance into heaven and everyone whose name is not written into there because of their choice will get entrance into hell. That's the truth. That's reality. So how can I avoid the reality of hell? It's the same answer as last Sunday when I said, how can you know the reality of heaven? How can I avoid the reality of hell? Say yes to Jesus Christ. Say yes to him. Look what John writes in 1 John. It's recorded in 1 John 5. This is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Does not have life. Now, these verses right here mean so much to me, especially verse 12. When my first wife died in a car accident and um, it came time to pick out a tombstone or a grave marker for her, and when you think about a tombstone, um, it's a place where, you know, when people go to graveyards, uh, cemeteries, that they're looking at tombstones and they're thinking about two things. They're thinking about life and death, life and death when they're there. And that a tombstone has the capacity or gravestone has the capacity to state what a person believes because when you're in the grave you can't state what you believe but your stone can say it for you and so i had this verse put on my wife's tombstone whoever has the son has life whoever does not have god's son does not have life so that for all time as long as the earth exists people would come to that cemetery and they would hear the truth and it would be before them, and they would get to make a choice. And I just want to say this today, folks. Just, just be really clear to end this. Hell is not the reason to choose God. It's not the reason to choose God. Jesus is the reason to choose God. It's Jesus and what you can experience in him and life, as we said last week, forever in eternity. 
So as we wrap this up, let me just ask this question. So what does this mean to you? What does this mean for the people around you that you know that you run into daily? I mean, we can't judge whether someone's going to heaven or hell by the way they look or the way they act. Only God can judge. What we can do is help people to know they have a choice. It's to be a spokespeople. Because this is what we know. Look at what it says in Second Peter. It says, The Lord is being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. And that's why we say over and over again as a church that our mission is not to just build this place so that people who know Jesus Christ can come and hang together in our holy huddle so that we can sing songs that cause us to just exult in how great God is, so that we can have activities that make it seem like a social club for your particular life stage. All those are important, but that's not the primary reason we exist. The primary reason we exist is so that we can help people know the love that God has through Jesus Christ for them so that they can make their choice and choose him. I'm going to ask if you bow your heads and let's pray together. Well, God, I thank you that you're clear about hell and that reality. And so, Father, I pray for all those in this room who have said yes to Jesus. I pray, God, that you've, on a day when we feel sleepy or groggy, that you have caffeinated us with the truth about hell, that you have brought us awake today. And that, Father, that um, we'd realize how complacent we can be, how distracted we can be with all the things of life. And God, I pray that you would help us to see people and to realize that every person we see is a soul with an eternal destiny. And we wouldn't see people for what we can get or what we can gain or be afraid but that we would see our beautiful, God-given responsibility to help them know that God loves them and has a way to heaven. Father, I pray for everyone in the room now who's never said yes to Jesus. I know there are people here who've never done that. And you may want to today because the reality of hell is, has just really punched you today. And if you just wanted to, you could say in your head, you don't have to say it out loud, you could say, Jesus, as much as I understand it, first of all, I want to tell you I've sinned. I want to tell you I've done wrong. Uh, I feel sorrow in my heart for the things I've done. I confess that to you today. I ask you to forgive me. I want to receive your grace. May it wash over me. I ask you to be my deliverer and my healer to walk with me now as you 
Help me rebuild the life that I've made. And I want to follow you for the rest of my days. And God, I just say personally, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that there was a man or woman who taught me Sunday school. There was a youth group I could go to because there were people who were engaged. That when I wandered away from God in the church, that there were people who continually reached out that there were people who continued to start churches to make sure there was a church available for the day that I would turn back to you. I'm grateful that when I turned back to you that I wasn't rejected or ridiculed, but I was accepted and that you've redeemed the days that the locust ate. And I pray, God, that that's what this church would be about. Lots of souls need to hear about Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.